afternoon. Welcome to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese. We are recording on Saturday, July the 15th, 2023, and you are listening for the first time on Sunday, July the 16th. Uh, how's it going, Reese? You know, another Saturday. Grateful for sunshine, I guess, and really feeling like summer, finally. Trying to keep it positive. I'm trying. Same here. You know, it's very hot in New York. The air quality was a little iffy, but not too, too bad. So after we're done recording, I'm going to go out and, you know, get some exercise, go for a long walk. Try to remember why I used to think summer was my favorite season. I don't know. That might be changing as I get older because it's it's a little too hot for me, this global warming stuff. But Yeah, the hottest week on record ever, what um, oh the statistics God. were saying. In the in existence of humanity, it's the hottest week ever across the globe that um, it's ever been. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of sad because this is the dangerous weather, you know. So hydrate people. Sunblock, hydrate, take breaks. Don't press it too hard. Yes, please. Yes, please. Because overheating will take you up out of here. So do all the stuff that reset. And also we got to continue pushing on our quote unquote leaders to stop burning fossil fuels to, you know, whatever it is we're doing that's making this shit happen. It needs to stop immediately because we're not going to have a planet for too much longer if it keeps going like this. This is wild. Um, so, so for this week's show for local news, we'll be talking about a Long Island serial killer that seems to have been caught. Um, a suspect has finally been arrested, um, in a string of beach murders for national news. We're talking about, um, house Republicans, um, tacking on a lot of, um, bigoted and like anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ aspects onto a military spending bill. For world news, we'll be talking about Black Tunisians dealing with an uptick in racist violence. And for good news, we'll see. We'll see if there is a good news story by the time we get to the end. Um, So to start off, uh, I will be doing the local news story. Uh, This information, I decided to go with an Al Jazeera article just because it was fairly concise. Uh, There is no uh, author listed. Uh, But the title of the article is DNA from Pizza Crust Leads to Arrest in U.S. Gilgo Beach Murders. Um, I'm going to read most of it. A little bit has been cut for the sake of time. Uh, Prosecutors have charged architect Rex Heuerman with murder in three of the 11 unsolved deaths in Long Island, New York. It was a string of grisly unsolved murders that captured the public's attention putting residents of Long Island, New York on edge. Now, on Friday, authorities in the United States have announced that they have charged a suspect in at least three of the deaths, providing possible answers to a long-standing mystery. Investigators have accused Nassau County architect Rex Heuerman, age 59, in the killings of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. He remains a person of interest in a fourth murder, that of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. 
She was found bound and hidden in the brush in 2010 next to a beach highway. Ladies and gentlemen, Rex Hewerman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison said. If not for the members of this task force, he would still be out on the streets today. Defense lawyer Michael Brown, however, said Hewerman told him, I didn't do this. Hewerman, through his lawyer, has entered a plea of not guilty. Given the extreme depravity of the case, Suffolk County Judge Richard Ambro ordered Hewerman to be held in jail without bail. The investigation began over a decade ago in May 2010, when 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert disappeared after making a panicked call to emergency services. There's somebody after me, she said in the recording, as she left a house on Oak Beach, Long Island, where she had been hired for sex work. Her disappearance prompted a police search, which stretched on for months. But in December of that year, on an isolated beach along Long Island's South Shore, an officer came across a set of remains, Bartholomew's. Over the next few days, more bodies were discovered belonging to Costello, Brainerd Barnes, and Waterman. The women were all young, in their 20s, and all had been employed in sex work. Their remains were found wrapped in camouflage burlap-style fabric. As the search continued into 2011, the body count would rise to 11, with an additional four women, one man, and a toddler found. Police have said they believe multiple people to be responsible. According to investigators, Hewerman lived across the bay from the Gilgo Beach crime scene in an area called Massapequa Park. Detectives began to focus on him as a suspect in March 2022, when they discovered he had owned a Chevrolet Avalanche pickup truck, similar to the model a witness had identified around the time of the disappearances. A surveillance team later that month trailed Hewerman as he threw away some leftover pizza crust while in Manhattan. Detectives then collected the crust and swabbed it for DNA, which linked him to hair recovered among the victims' bodies. Police arrested Hewerman late on Thursday, and by Friday morning, investigators were sweeping his small red house in Long Island. Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney told reporters on Friday that Hewerman had searched obsessively for information online about the Gilgo Beach killings. Until his arrest, Tierney said the architect used burner phones to contact sex workers. He also noted that Hewerman allegedly had permits for 92 guns. This case is not over, Tierney said at Friday's press conference. It's only beginning. Um, so yes, like I was surprised to hear that there was a breakthrough in this case because it had been so long. Um, but just an added note, um, some other news articles I read about this also mentioned that this man, um, the suspect, uh, Hewerman, he had been Googling things like why haven't they caught the Long Island serial killer? He was looking up information, um, on the internet about, uh, victims' families, and things and as well as child pornography and other like really heinous stuff so 
I'm hoping that he is the culprit ultimately for all of these um, people that were murdered in this way instead of it being multiple people. But yeah, just a very depressing situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that just goes to show that sometimes, you know, they actually do solve things. I think we hear so much more about, you know, people not getting resolution. Um, Of course, they can never get their family members back or anything like that. But a lot of times in, in murders like these, you know, they just go unresolved for so long. It's like they, you know, people are just kind of forgotten about and the families just have to live with that, you know. So I hope that this leads to them finding out everything they need to about these murders and this man, you know, hopefully there's not something new to uncover from some shit he might've done that they don't know about. Um, And I don't know if this would even make the family feel any better or anything like that. But the reality is, you know, it's some really evil people out here and that we're all better off um, when people like this, who have the capacity to murder and, and keep it moving are no longer just out on the loose. Yeah, it kind of, um, you know, there's pictures of this man where, you know, he had a firm, he worked in Manhattan, you see pictures of him, like for his company's website, he was married. um, And they found they figured out that his the times it seems like of the killings overlap with times that his wife was out of town. And um, I've already been he's white also. Uh, one of the victims, to my knowledge, is was an Asian man. I'm not sure of the the age of the uh, the race of the toddler who was killed, but I think most of the victims were white women, if I'm not mistaken. But I was already getting a little bit irritated because you always see sometimes when it's a white collar person, usually a white man, that's like, oh, he was married, he had a house on Long Island. You know, there are people yeah. that act like, oh, I. I never would have thought, and it's like, open your eyes, you know, this violence against women and this hatred towards sex workers and wanting to act out harm, it's not just poor people that act out on these things or that have these beliefs or these feelings, you know, it's people like this that walk among us of all colors and of all income levels. And it seems like it's the ones that you're like, oh, I never would have thought that get away with it. Yeah. It's 2023, 13 years ago, the first victim disappeared. And we're only just now getting to this. And the man lived right across the way. Wow. You know? Yeah. I think as much as stereotypes sometimes can be true, they they generally hinder people. Um on both ends, like, you know, the presumption and the receiving, because the reality is, you know, there is no profile for what a killer looks like, you know, and unfortunately, because of, you know, our unjustice system, there are these preconceived notions about people that'll never be erased, you know, like from the time somebody comes out of the wound, they're literally classified um, before they even open their eyes. You know, and it's it's one of those things where you realize like that's that will never be broken, that will never change, you know. And when you have cases like this, it kind of, you know, works to compel against those things. 
because you can have all the things in the world and still be a horrible person, still be a killer at that. Um, and people with resources oftentimes are much uh, more capable of doing things like this and not getting caught as opposed to some poor person who is doing this for whatever reason they're doing. Um, it just seems like, you know, people who are more affluent, that get caught up in like different types of crimes when people just assume that because they're on paper, they look great. It's almost like that's the illusion they needed you to, to think. And, and that was, that was the whole setup. That's why they even went about doing it. Um, and probably felt empowered to get away with it too. So, um, you know, it's really, right. yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's that. And then there's also, there's his identity as the alleged killer. Cause we were not sure that he did all of it, but you know, the person under arrest, but, and then there's also on the side of the victims, like being that the young ladies that were killed, like they were all engaged in sex work. Um, and I believe Shannon Gilbert, when I had first read about her, she also had, um, she had also, she had a mental illness. I, I believe she had schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. She was one of those and she was on medication, but not always. And people that are predators, like they know how to pick out people that they're like, oh, no one's going to care if this person goes missing, you know, and it's really sad that too often, like our society proves those people right, you know, because just because someone might be, you know, earning a living in a way that's not legal or something, that does not mean that they deserve to die. Like they are still a human being like everybody else. But, you know, when Shannon Gilbert went missing initially and her body was found like in some tall weeds, um, I remember reading in a separate article that police were like, oh, it was probably an accident or something like she just got lost in the weeds or something. I'm like, what? Like, this is somebody, you know, she was calling for help. She went into someone's house and was saying somebody was after her. Why would you then be like, huh, it's an accident when you then find her dead? You know, but that type of um lack of concern or like not having a sense of urgency because of who the person is, you know, that feeds into, you know, someone who is a, a monster like this, just doing it again and again and again, because they can see what they get away with. You know, it's, it's really, it's really a shame all around, but, you know, rest in peace to the victims. And I'm really hoping that this brings closure to their families, you know, it won't bring them back, but, you yeah. know, just kind of a, a bittersweet day, you know, happy to have some kind of closure, but also like all these uh, up to 11 people dead just, wow. just because, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, definitely. And I hope that, you know, that this is a resolution for others and, you know, getting someone like this off the streets makes that community feel a little safer. Right, absolutely. And um, just as an aside, um, since we're these, unfortunately, these um, women who went missing, they were eventually found um, dead. There was a, another woman who was missing in Alabama, and I'm hoping that she's found alive. Uh, her name is Carlethia or Carly Nicole Russell. Um, she went missing on Thursday. 
She saw a toddler walking on the side of I-459 South in Alabama. Um, she said she was going to check on the child, called a family member, but they lost contact with her on the phone. Uh, and when the police finally arrived to where she was calling from, she was not there and neither was the child. Um, Carly Russell is five feet, four inches tall. She's a brown skinned black woman. She was last seen wearing a black t-shirt, black pants and white Nike shoes. Um, if you have any information or if you may have seen her, please contact the police department. Um, she was from Hoover, Alabama, or she is from Hoover, Alabama. So hoping that she's found safe and, you know, whoever it is, whatever the race of the person, whatever the walk of life, you know, we need to be concerned and like doing whatever we can to get to the bottom of these things immediately and not just let it be like, ah, just another, you know, woman missing. I agree, definitely. All right, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is I Don't Know by Bill Withers. We'll be right back. I get a warm, warm summer feeling Walking through the snow Even chilly darkness Has the brightest glow And I just love you so Sometimes I just don't know, no, no. I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I say that time just seems to help this wondrous feeling grow. Maybe I might wake up early one morning and find it isn't so. But I just love, love you so mm. Sometimes I just don't know I just don't know I just don't know I just don't know Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now here's Reese with our national news story. Okay, so this story comes from the Washington Post um, July 15th article. So it came out 
uh, today, actually. Um, and the author is Dan Baltz. The title of the art- article is House Republicans Wage Woke Culture Wars with the Military. The House vote for a defense spending bill that includes controversial amendments shows how central anti-abortion and anti-transgender policies have become have become to the Republican Party's agenda. So I'm just going to read. Um, it's not very long, but just so we can get the context. For decades, bipartisan majorities in Congress approved the annual defense authorization bill that funds the military and national security priorities. That long-standing practice collapsed this week under the weight of a right-wing effort to turn the measure into the latest arena in culture wars. The vote in the House on Friday signaled that no area of public policy may now be insulated from the debates over abortion, transgender policies, and other cultural issues that have become central to the Republican Party's agenda. Unity around one of the most important responsibilities of the federal government, national security, gave way to the demands of a faction that wields great influence over Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his unruly conference. The House narrowly approved the National Defense Authorization Act by a vote of 219 to 210. Four Democrats supported it, four Republicans opposed it. Last December, the defense authorization cleared the House by a vote of 350 to 80, when Democrats held a slim majority in the chamber and the GOP's far-right Freedom Caucus held little sway. There is no realistic chance that the Democratic-controlled Senate will go along with the House version approved Friday, which includes limits on abortion, transgender transition treatment, diversity training, and other matters. The Senate is almost certain to return to the House a defense bill stripped of those controversial Republican amendments. The bill would then face an uncertain future as some House Republicans who pushed through the amendments have vowed to hold the line, though some of them made similar promises during the recent conflict over raising the government's borrowing power yet still couldn't prevent its passage in the end. The House bill that was approved on the largely party-line vote came out of the Armed Service Committee last month on a vote of 558 to 1, a testament to the way these defense measures have been treated in the past. Those bills historically have been vigorously debated, sometimes amended, but ultimately passed with overwhelming majority in favor. The current bill, which has a price tag of $886 billion, includes a 5.2% pay raise for military personnel, more funding to support Ukraine in its war with Russia, and other measures designed to deal with rising threats, especially from China. When it hit the House floor, however, members of the Freedom Caucus called for votes on a series of divisive amendments on social policy. One of the most controversial amendments would prohibit the Pentagon from paying travel costs for those in the military to get abortions, or other reproductive health care in other states, if the states where they're serving do not provide those services. That is the same issue that has led Senator Tommy Tuberville to hold up hundreds of Pentagon promotions for high-ranking officers and what Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has deemed a threat to the national security. Tuberville recently found himself forced to relent on his language after refusing during a CNN interview to label white supremacists as racist. Beyond the amendments on abortion and treatment for transgendered individuals, the defense bill approved by the House includes a series of additions attacking what some Republicans call 
a far left woke ideology. The amendments included a ban on the teaching of critical race theory. The amendment called for the elimination of programs in the military aimed at increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion. In the eyes of some Republicans, a woke military is a weak military. They argued that the Biden administration has injected cultural issues into the military, whether on abortion or diversity, equi equity, and inclusion priorities. House Democrats faced a difficult cho choice to vote against the defense bill that included much that they liked and wanted, knowing that a no vote could be used against them in their upcoming elections to suggest they were anti-military or to support a bill that included provisions anathema, sorry, anathema to their personal beliefs, their party's diverse base, and in some cases, their views on the majority of Americans. In the end, Democrats largely united against the amending the bill. After the vote, McCarthy held the bill's passage and questioned why Democrats had walked away from America's troops by opposing it, though the last word on who supports the final version of the bill will come later this year. So I'll stop right there. Um, there's a little bit more to the um, article, just kind of talking about the different people who oppose the bill and why certain people are not, um, not voting the way that they would that their constituents would expect them to um, because this is a topic of the military and defense there it seems like they're not withholding their true beliefs because they are risking not being reelected because it's something that's supposed to be central to government which is defending america what do you think well i have my opinions about the military budget like in general and the purpose of the u.s military and what it does um like i feel that that's something that we there's always money for war and weapons and invading other places and so on but then you don't see the same funneling of resources into Things like healthcare, making sure everyone has food to eat, making sure the air and the water is clean, you know. So I, I see what the issue is as far as like some the problems that the GOP is pushing with this spending bill. But I'm um, just getting that out there that you know there's a lot even without that that I do not support. Um, but I think it really goes to show like just how committed the right wing in this country is to their vision of, you know, restricting bodily autonomy with these abortion things and uh, transgender affirming healthcare and everything. Like the fact that they would potentially um, limit something having to do with the military and, and try to push that in with it you know, normally I feel like they would, you know, make the military their top priority and not want to do anything that might jeopardize um, these things passing, but they really are bound and determined to try to bring this country backwards by decades and decades. And, you know, I, I don't see them getting any less extreme as time goes on. I think it's just going to get worse and they're going to try to get bolder and bolder with, um, whatever restrictions they want to tack on to these bills. Yeah, no, I agree with you um, full heartedly. I definitely have my own reservations about, you know, defense funding and totally think it's completely unfair to the rest of us, civilian, regular people who could 
really benefit more from um, social policy and programs that help us become better people and have better opportunities. Um, but in general, uh, what bothers me the most about this and I want us all, one of the reasons I chose this story is because people need to be more aware of all the things that have happened in the last four years that the Republicans have moved their agenda closer to the goal, right up under your face. And, you know, we keep hearing about these things left and right. And as we were speaking earlier, you know, where is the people that are fighting back against this? You know, I feel like it seems like the lower level politicians, like the people in the House of Representatives and stuff like that, are the ones that we hear and see stories about them protesting and being with the people. But once it gets to that high level, the fact that these people who have been elected, you know, are not being responsible to their constituents for all kinds of reasons, right? But it's like so very obvious that the opposition towards these things is almost non-existent. So I think it's really, you know, interesting that, you know, we need to pay more attention to stuff like this because there's so many, the illusion that things are okay and we wait until November to start paying attention to the changes or not changes that have happened since this administration has been in office and the, you know, midterm administration as well. It's, it's way too late because there are so many things that have happened um, that will be very difficult to reverse, specifically if... Come on, right? Specifically, if um, people are afraid to stand up for what's right, if if people are not ne- really going to um, be the politicians that they say they are, which we know Sleepy Joe definitely is full of fucking lies. Um, these, you know, these lower level politicians are not standing up for people. They are not speaking out against these things. I just really have not seen um, a lot of commentary or anything at all of the politicians that's standing with the other side. And it bothers me so much that, you know, a story like this about military spending is where it's coming out for them. You know, you know, who's paying attention to this, the Republicans, that's who's paying attention to this. The people that's going to vote that way, they are paying attention to things like this because their agenda is being pushed and forced and it's, it's taken over y'all. So at this point it's, it, you know, it's just really important um, however, we can speak speak up for ourselves as well as trying to hold these politicians accountable because I'm telling you, once they transfer this world back to the way that they want it to be, it's going to be nearly impossible. And I don't want to you know, be so d- negative, but look how hard it was for it to flip the other way. So what do you what do you think is going to happen when that is not an option? Yeah, absolutely. It's like this, the period of time that we're in right now, I I think the best um, comparison historically, a lot of people talk about um, Nazi Germany and like how Hitler came to power and everything. And I think there are a lot of apt comparisons there, but keeping it within the history of the United States, I think of reconstruction in the period after the Civil War, when you had... Yeah. Um, Black people, especially in the South, making so many enormous strides towards um, public education, like building schools, you know, building infrastructure, you know, really taking advantage of their newfound freedom to make true communities and uplift each other. And the way that the backlash, the white backlash was so aggressive and so violent um, and swift that 
all of that progress was, I don't want to say it was all undone, but it really was like dragging everyone back to the dark ages because they didn't like to see that. And we see pretty much the exact same thing happening now. You know, it's like, I think a lot of people have been kind of lulled to sleep. Um, I don't know if it was like this in your education, but I do think um, growing up that there's this way that history is taught in this country as if it kind of stopped at the civil rights movement of the 60s and then everything got better after that, but that's not really accurate. You know, like these are ongoing struggles to maintain the freedoms and the rights that people die to have before you. And this idea that you can just kind of ride it out and everything will be fine and things are just automatically going to get better and better. It's not true because, you know, we see how like the extremeness and the depravity of the people on the other side and they're not letting up. But, you know, I, I guess it shows that a lot of the people that claim to be in the opposing party, they're not really that opposing after all, because they're not putting in the same amount of effort. Um, and, you know, they're not fighting fire with fire the way we need them to be. Right. And um, who knows where it's heading, but it's it's not looking good, folks. It's not, you know, and I think it's important for us to realize, like, some of the liberties that we've enjoyed over these past 10 years, even, you know, just the last 10 years, how things have shifted um, will show you all the work that has been done before those 10 years and how long it took um, people to really press on a more equitable uh, agenda. You know, it, it used to be when you talked about the military, the most thing that you know is don't ask, don't tell, you know, and now at this point, they are raging war against diversity training, you know, to the point that it's, it's almost like they don't want anyone to have their own mind and be about this, this new America that never, ever existed, if you ask me. But I'm just saying it is very intentional. It is very intentional in every aspect of our lives, even the ones we cannot see. And so I'm on this soapbox because I feel like it's, you know, it's overwhelming to me every week we come to talk about these stories and you can just kind of see how far we are coming away from the, the end goal here. Like we are literally on the other side of the field, way down at the zero line. And it's not, we're not going anywhere, but back. Um, and it's, it's, it's really scary. So, you know, get into this if you can. Make sure you are aware, have these conversations with people that you know, um, because there has to be some some opposition to this bullshit. We have we have to do something, even if it's just the people rising up. I mean, that's what revolution is all about anyway. So let's do that shit. Cause they win it, y'all. They fucking win it. <laughs> yeah, trying to drag us all to hell. And it's it's not a joke at all. Um and I do also want to say just to reiterate, like the violence and things that you see that the military inflicts abroad that stuff comes back to roost. You know, like we, I don't know if you were following that story of the poor, um, she was an indigenous girl. She is an indigenous girl with disabilities and the soldiers had taken her into the barracks, like kidnapped her and she was uh, sexually assaulted. Like imagine how often that happens, you know, when these people are going out into other countries and they're invading and you never hear about it. 
you know, it's like these things are not separate. And it's like when you sanction these types of aggressions and like curtailing people's rights in other parts of the world, it doesn't just stay outside of your borders. Like that attitude and those beliefs, they come back to bite you domestically as well. So like there's definitely a connection between um, a lot of the politics around, you know, being an imperial country that thinks it's better than other places and it can go in and force people in other countries to bend to what, you know, our political interests of a capitalist country. You can't have that and then on the same side think that you're going to have like true freedom and stuff for yourself on the home front, like those things don't go together. So, you know, we gotta be consistent and fight against like this bigotry wherever you see it, not just when you feel like it's affecting you personally, but you know, these people are coming for all of us. Like they really want to have total complete control globally, domestically, men, women, black, white, whatever. And I, I wish more people would wake up to that because we're really in a we're in an emergency like five alarm fire situation. Absolutely, y'all. It's a state of emergency. It's fucking been that way. <laughs> um. So for our next musical break, um, in honor of it was Bastille Day the other day. It was um the anniversary of the start of the French Revolution on July the fourteenth. Uh, this is. Padam by Edith Piaf. You're listening to Objection to the Rule. We'll be right back. Cet air qui m'obsède jour et nuit, cet air n'est pas né d'aujourd'hui. Il vient d'aussi loin que je viens, traîné par cent mille musiciens. Un jour, cet air me rendra folle. J'ai voulu dire pourquoi Mais il m'a coupé la parole Il parle toujours avant moi Et sa voix couvre ma voix Padam, padam, padam Il arrive en courant derrière moi Padam, padam, padam Il me fait le coup du souviens-toi Padam, padam, padam C'est un air qui me montre du doigt Et je traîne après moi comme une drôle d'erreur Cet air qui sait tout par cœur Il dit rappelle-toi tes amours Rappelle-toi puisque c'est ton tour Il a pas de raison pour que tu ne pleures pas Avec tes souvenirs sur les bras Et moi je revois ce qui reste Mes vingt ans font battre tambour Je vois s'entrebattre des gestes Toute la comédie des amours Sur cette terre if you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. 
you can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, and for our world news story, this is another article from Al Jazeera. Uh, it was written by Simon Speakman Cordal. Uh, it was written on July the 14th, so just the other day. The title of the article is Black Tunisians Lie Low as Violence Against Black People Worsens. Tunisia has a complex history with Black migrants and refugees, as well as its own native Black population. In February, Tunisian President Kais Saied warned his country of a plan to change Tunisia's demographic makeup to turn it into just another African country that doesn't belong to the Arab and Islamic nations anymore. As part of this plan, hordes of irregular migrants from sub-Saharan Africa had traveled to Tunisia, bringing all the violence, crime, and unacceptable practices that entails. Uh, so to reiterate, those are the words of uh, the Tunisian president, Kais Saied. The dubious warning, which has been widely criticized and dubbed racist by human rights groups, as well as by regional and international bodies, gave official approval to a mentality that has been spreading through the North African country over recent years. It led to roundups of Black Sub-Saharan Africans, their eviction from rented properties, and African countries mobilizing to repatriate their citizens. And now, with reports of mobs forcing their way into the homes of Black migrants and refugees, attacking occupants with fists, clubs, and machetes, Tunisia's own native Black population, long used to the bigotry that exists in many parts of their own society, are braced for the assault. Around 10 to 15 percent of Tunisia's own population is Black, according to the anti-racism campaign group Imnemti, that's spelled M-N-E-M-T-Y. Some are descended from the native Amazigh population of North Africa, while the ancestors of others migrated here from nearby states and others were brought to Tunisia as part of the country's participation in the slave trade. According to Nemti, conditions have deteriorated since President Said's February broadside. It's gotten worse, much worse, Ziad Rouen from Nemti said. Ever since the speech of Kais Said, people have lost all sense of shame over their racism. If you're racist, you're racist, but people now feel it's okay to announce that. There's nothing black people can do, no one they can complain to. Black people feel unprotected while racists feel empowered. They feel they can do whatever they like. The impact of the speech, Rouen says, on Tunisian identity looks to be long lasting. With that speech, President Syed def defined what it is to be Tunisian, that is, Arab and Muslim. Anything that, differ that differs from that, whether that's through skin tone or religion, is suspicious and subject to question, Rouen continued. He leaned forward. Let me ask you a question. Do you see many Black Tunisians at events defending migrants? No, they stay away from those events. They go to pains to appear Tunisian and speak in the Tunisian dialect. 
They need to let you know they're Tunisian before you question them, he said. Recent attacks upon the thousands of black refugees and migrants in the port city of Sfax, that's S-F-A-X, and across Tunisia have been as ferocious as they have been brutal. Throughout the center of Sfax, or huddling outside the offices of the International Organization for Migration in Tunis, crowds of black sub-Saharan Africans lie under an unremitting sun enduring temperatures that only drop below 40 degrees Celsius, 100 degree Fahrenheit, 104 degrees Fahrenheit at nightfall. In 2018, Tunisia made history by criminalizing racism. It was a first, not just in North Africa, but across the Arab world. Racism, its existence long dismissed by successive governments, was at last acknowledged and its victims offered some kind of legal protection to all black people, irrespective of the country of their birth on Tunisian soil. However, with no central strategy to roll it out and without the funds to train the police in its use, its application remained piecemeal. Now with black people, some bleeding, lying unprotected in the blistering summer heat, the 2018 law has arguably ceased to have any relevance, and some Tunisian nationalists are even calling for it to be repealed. The 2011 revolution was born of the need for jobs and social justice, but over the subsequent years, the economy has continued to tank, unemployment has remained ingrained, and bread, one of the principal rallying cries of 2011, remains, like other staple foods the government subsidizes, in short supply. And the future is uncertain and worrying. If we keep going this way, it's going to be like a purge, Ruan sighed. It's going to take a lot of hard work. That starts with government, but society will follow. Either way, it will take a lot of time. So yes, I thought that, um, this story stood out to me, and I also was reading about how there are the the United um, the European Union has been sending millions and millions of euros, and I believe up to one billion to Tunisia in order to for their quote unquote help to stop migrants from trying to reach Europe, and then we're seeing the way migrants are being treated within Tunisia and. It's a very alarming situation whenever you're hearing about people being rounded up and hunted and attacked like this. Wow. Um, yeah, that's pretty tough. Um, that read that whole region of the world. I spent a little bit of time in North Africa and I did notice, uh, depending on certain regions that we went in, um, I, I wasn't in Tunisia at all, but I did notice that the there was a different reaction if we were in cities where people were more lightly complected as opposed to if we went to more southern regions of that country and there was like this kind of like un unsaid sort of uncomfortableness um obviously they seen us as tourists as americans as whatever um, but in the same context, they, they didn't make us feel that way, but I could see how that exists amongst the people. And I was in, I was in Egypt. So it's, you know, I know every country is different, but the whole concept that is there, but it's not, um, I definitely understand that because I've, I've heard 
people from that region of the world not refer to themselves as African, refer to themselves as Arabic or, um, but definitely like there was a loose sort of like detachment from anything that would call them or place them in a black category. And so I think a lot of times in um, situations like this, where they don't want to call it racism is because, you know, I don't know what the reasons are quite honestly, but it's the same, no matter where you are, you know, in this world, like people who are of color, especially of the darker skin, they just have a different experience. And in countries like that, where, you know, it's hard to talk about equality because there's, there's so many issues, uh, so many social issues there that a lot of it more has to do with like class and they put it into different things like that issues of race become, um, you know, overlooked, if you will, or just not made as um, pertinent as this article is talking about that it is right now. So uh, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Don't write no wrongs by any means, but acknowledging that this is a real problem, uh, specifically with the migrants. So many people get lost on the way. Um, You know, it's just a really dangerous situation to be in. You know, like when I was reading through this and listening to um, a related podcast that Al Jazeera had discussing this, um, particularly as it relates to the refugees that are currently being mistreated. Um, There's hundreds of them right now that were all like taken out to some like buffer zone on the edge of the country. And a lot of them do not have adequate food, water, they're in... uh, terrible straits and you know it um it makes me think of how i don't really agree with the way some people will talk about people of color as if we're all one same group like i think that it is important in some contexts to you know have an umbrella term when you're talking about people who are not not racialized as white but at the same time like as a black woman myself and just being aware of history and what's happening now to black people it really is like there's black people and then there's everyone else because you know even though you know there's other groups that experience racism and discrimination in the context of you know white supremacy and western imperialism even within non-black groups that are victims of that they still find time to be violently anti-black in their own cultures um and this was a stark reminder of that reality that you know wherever you go on this world it's like everyone has an n-word you know, everyone has, you know, some type of excuse for kicking down at Black people or wanting to separate themselves from Black people. Um, and I think it's it's a hard thing to keep in mind for some, but I think it's very important just to always have that at the forefront of your mind that these attitudes are prevalent and this level of hatred that exists for Black people is very common. Um, and, you know, to have that kind of inform your politics and who you side with. But it's really, I'm very worried for what's going to happen to these people, not just the native Black population, but specifically the refugees who are, they're dealing with stuff like having their passports taken away, documents destroyed. Like that puts you 
you're already at risk and then you're extremely vulnerable when you now don't have papers and you're in a no man's land it's i don't know it's hard for me to even put in words like how i feel right now but just horrible 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 situation yeah definitely i mean that that beautiful stain that we wear so proudly (laughs) um and you have to talk to yourself in that way right it's all about language um it really does take a toll no matter where you are in this world um even you know in in other countries that are not tunisia not america um even in, you know, some Latinx countries and even in, you know, France last week, we were talking about the cultural wars over the police killing of that young man. It's one of those things that, like I said, will will never be transformed. If anything, it stands out more now than ever before. And I find it very interesting that the youth of today, they get uncomfortable talking about things like this, but even the woke ones, they don't want it. They don't want that pressure. They don't want to go into situations to um, talk about this, you know, cause a ruckus because the level of mental strain that it puts on you to have to own it is very difficult. And I've just, you know, in talking to some young people, I noticed that it's something that I feel more comfortable talking with than they do. And they kind of shy away from having those discussions, but it's absolutely happening to them too, no matter where you are in this world. So, you know, it's it's difficult to talk about only because, of course, it looks different in different cultures, but it's literally the same devil. And, you know, you should never be made to feel inadequate, left out. You should never be brutalized and treated differently, of course, because of what you look like, some shit that you can't control, when really it's all about the character and the things that are important to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, just always thinking of people in other places who have experiences that are similar to ours, not the same, but definitely, um, you know, I feel, I feel for people in that situation, specifically with the migrants because running to Europe, I mean, is it the best thing for you? I don't know, you know, but it must be something better than what they're experiencing um, within their own country. And that's pretty tough. It's upsetting, but not surprising that, you know, we're seeing this rhetoric from Kais Syed. It's the it's identical to what you're hearing, you know, the rising right wing and fascists in uh, Western Europe or in Europe in general and also in the United States saying like with essentially repeating like great replacement theory rhetoric about um, black people taking over the the demographics of the country. And it's like, you know what? you are in Africa, you know, you are on African soil and just the, the way and the language, especially in a place where, you know, they were very much a part of the slave trade, the Arab slave trade hundreds of years ago, not even just like, there's a lot of similar trafficking and stuff still happening and abuse of black people in Arab countries you know, and the nerve to talk down on black or on darker skinned black Africans like that. It's just no shame. It's really a damn mess. So hoping that things turn around before they get worse. But, you know, again, it seems like everywhere we you turn around, it's like everywhere is taking a hard rightward shift. It's very scary. We must stay vigilant and aware and connected because, um, 
you know, the people are literally trying to destroy us <laughs> every fucking day. They're trying to take our rights. They're trying to destroy us. It's a never ending battle. <laughs> and so, you know, we got to try to lift each other up as much as we can and bring relevance to the lives of those who are unheard. Every opportunity you can, if it's within your reach, because that's the only way that we can help one another, even on the other sides of the world. I mean, I'm sure there's other things we can do, but generally speaking, you know, bringing these sort of stories to light and kind of sharing um, a solidarity with people who are suffering in this way is really important. All right. So we did a show. Thank you once again for listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio on the station. And to play us out, this is High and Dry by Radiohead. Have a good rest of your week. Stay safe, everybody. Bye, everyone. Another mirror